Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. But here we are, enjoying this more than this series. And uh, it's incredible to know that there is more. I love the fact that we know that there's more. Imagine if you didn't know there was more. But the fact that we do know there's more. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man that which he has prepared for us. But he's not holding it back, he's revealing it by his spirit. So we just got to position ourselves, be in the right place to receive of that more. And so I really want to bring a message to you this morning that is a bit of a twist on the more than this um, series. Right? So I want to bring this a slight twist, it's, it's such a kingdom principle um, that actually takes a, a bit to get your head around. Uh, it's an incredible principle that is throughout the Word of God. It is something that was just throughout Jesus' ministry. In fact, it's based on Jesus' ministry. And I want to bring a message to you this morning. And if we can get grab a hold of this, I really believe we will have more than this. And the message that I want to bring to you this morning is less is more. So I want to bring a twist on it because, you know, you've heard the statement, less is more. It's a paradox. And, you know, if you're trying to sell your house, they say to you, declutter your house and uh, make everything uh, simple and and, uh, take loads of things out, smaller furniture if you can. And so that the less furniture looks like you've got a bigger house, but you don't actually have a bigger house. It just looks like you've got a bigger house. So sort of less is more. And... uh, uh, you know, if you have less, you value more. Okay? Um, you know, a lot of people, uh, I, I remember one morning uh, getting a new top, getting a new scarf, and I thought, right, because sometimes I do a Kevin check, which either goes well or goes really not well. And so I got dressed in the morning, came down, and I thought, I love the kind of the scarf with the top, it's looking quite cool. So I said, sweetheart, what do you think? And he went, Ooh, there's a lot going on there, isn't there? <laughs> and I went, okay, take the scarf off, less is more. But um, I'm not sure he's an incredible judge because we, we met, you know, uh, and we were swinging into the 80s when we met. And um, I just want you to know that I was so celebrating the 80s. Uh, much to my regret, much to my kind of disaster, really. And uh, I remember that I was a hairdresser at the time, so you kind of have to pile on the makeup when you're a hairdresser. And uh, I had a canary yellow pencil skirt. And it was full on. It was, it was right. It was all the way down to here. When I'm talking pencil, I mean, it was yellow, yellow as yellow can be. I celebrated my yellow skirt with a very purple shoulder padded top, <laughs> to which I celebrated my whole outfit with a big black belt, sort of loose, you know, and then really big black stiletto heels. On top of all that, it was the perm days. So my hair, which I've straightened this morning, was enormous because I had a perm. Curly, big, permed hair. And being a, being a hairdresser and a statement of makeup, I had two red cheeks coming down here. So you can imagine pearly hair, uh, curly hair, pearly, oh yeah. Uh, makeup and purple shirt, shoulder pads, yellow skirt. 
big black belt, black stilettos. Oh, they were patent. They weren't just matte, they were patent. So, come on. Oh, and the earrings. Massive, massive earrings. Massive jewellery. And I met Kevin. <laughs> and it's just a miracle. He fell in love with me. And then I, there, and there's he saying, oh, there's a lot going on. When I put a scarf and a top together, oh, a lot going on there. And I'm thinking, I'm not actually sure you're the best judge of this. But amazingly so, he, he fell in love with me. Actually, I think it was the skinny jeans and the high-heeled shoes. But um, he did fall in love with me. But I wish someone had said to me then, Cheryl, less is more, darling. And uh, I wish I'd had some friends around me who were pretty honest at that time and, you know, less is more. But you would know how it is that the less complicated you are, the more understanding there is. And there's a principle that, that happens throughout the kingdom of God that less is more. Sometimes the least gives way to the greatest. And I've been looking at it and I'm so excited by it. You remember the boy with the five loaves and two fishes? And there's a gathering of 5,000 people and, and, and they're all hungry and they're all listening to Jesus and they're going, I'm hungry, I want food, I'm hungry. In the middle of nowhere, I'm very hungry, I want food. And here's this boy with his five loaves and two fishes who gives it to Jesus, the very least amount you could possibly imagine to feed 5,000 people. Jesus takes it and in the hands of Jesus, the very least becomes more. In the hand of our God, something that was so small became so great that it multiplied within his hands and they fed 5,000 people, not over that, but they had over and above. Because our God is an over and above God that whatever comes into his hands increases to such a capacity it blows us out the mind. It blows us out the water. It's so incredible. But what about the woman, the widow with the oil? And Elijah comes along. And uh, uh, the oil and the flour, and Elijah comes along and says, you know, will you give me a drink? And she says, okay. He says, well, actually, will you, will you just give me a morsel? Oh, well, actually, I've only got a little bit of flour left and a little bit of oil, and I'm going to make my last meal because basically that's it. We're going to die. And he says, don't, don't worry, don't fear. Elijah says, don't worry about it. He says, make, make me a morsel with the flour and the oil. And, he, and she gave what she had left. She gave the very least. And a miracle happened that the flour and the oil continued to flow. Throughout all the time where there was drought, she continued to feed. She continued to be able to live. She continued. I'm sure she even probably sold it. She prospered. And there it is. The least became the more. The less became more. And what about the woman where Jesus is sitting in the temple and he's watching the rich people put their offerings into the basket, the offering. And he's sitting there and he's looking and out of their abundance, out of what they have, they give. But then this woman comes along and she has two mites. It's a small, small amount. And she comes along and she puts her two mites into the offering. And he says, you see this woman? She has given more than what these other people gave. She gave everything. Her least became the most. Less is more. Now, I'm not saying give least. I'm talking about a heart thing here. And so I want to expand this principle with you today. What about our very own Jesus? Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the King of Kings. Jesus, the one who is coming. The one who has been promised. And there he is and he comes and he becomes the least. He becomes a baby in a stable. And then he dies a criminal's death on a cross. He became the least so that we could have the more. 
This is such a powerful, powerful principle that I want to bring to you today. 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. That you, say me, through his poverty might become rich. Less is more. And so he became our less so that we could be, become more. This is the most incredible scripture when you really get your head around it. In John 12, 24, and this is the New Living Translation. I'm not sure. I can't see a face behind the, the computer thing. Oh, it's Jane. Hello, Jane. Everybody say hello to Jane. Hello. So the New Living Translation in John 12, 24, it says, I tell, this is Jesus saying, I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Oh my goodness, it's so awesome. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Less is more. Isn't it incredible? You want to live your life, you'll lose it. If you give your life, you will live it. It's so, such a paradox and it's such an incredible thing as we start to discover that actually giving our lives to Christ is going to bring a more. That's what's going to bring more into our lives is a submitting before God. For the more, there needs to be a surrender. For the more, there needs to be a submitting. For the more, there needs to be an adjustment. And I want to encourage you this morning that it is just a small adjustment of your heart and mind that is going to position you for what God has in store for your life. Because there is more. We have been promised so much more. And something incredible happens in the vulnerability with God. To become vulnerable before God causes such a transaction with heaven because God says he resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. And it's not a popular message these days. It's not popular to say humble yourself before God. It's not popular to say submit. It's not popular to say, you know, just surrender everything to God. Because we live in a selfish society. So it's the going the opposite to how we actually are living our lives at the moment. But when God says, if a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, unless it does, it remains alone. But when it goes in, something incredible starts to happen. I want to say to you, something incredible can start to happen in your life. Some of you are waiting for a miracle. Just how Liana this morning testified, she was waiting for a miracle. She got a miracle. Whether it was something going on the inside, or whether it was something that she was believing God for, God was coming through. And so here we are. Something, there is something in that humility, something in that weakness that God moves upon. It's such a beautiful thing when someone surrenders their life to Jesus Christ. Because he can really move upon your life. In the pursuit for more, we may need to make some adjustments. 
And I want to ask you as you're sitting there today, not to think about the person next to you, but to think about in your life, as we work through this and as we work through this principle, what are the adjustments that I need to make in my life? Okay? Listen to this. When it is of God, the multiplication is greater. The addition is beyond our capability. The outcome over and above our own capacity. Want to hear that again? I wrote that. I didn't get that from Google. When it is of God, the multiplication is greater. The addition is beyond our capability. The outcome over and above our capacity. And as I go through this story next, we're going to look into Gideon. We're going to look into our own lives as we look through the story of Gideon. And in Judges 6, we hear that the children of Israel have done evil in the sight of God. And actually, he's turned them over to the Midianites. And the Midianites are oppressing them. uh, Israel has just uh, disobeyed God. And so it's really in a time of of lack within the land. There's no voice in the land. And they've been oppressed for many years. Every time the the children of God go out to uh, grow crops, uh, the Midianites come and destroy all of their crops. And so they can't, they can't, uh, uh, there's no abundance in their life. They're oppressed. Uh, by the enemy, there's, there's nothing going on. And so Israel starts to cry out in this time. And uh, there's an angel of the Lord that appears to Gideon. Now Gideon is hiding in the threshing floor. You've heard this story many times. Some of you have. Some of you, this is the first time. But here he is, he's, he's, he's uh, in the threshing floor and he's, he's, he's threshing the wheat uh, because he wants to hide it and hide from the Midianites who he knows are going to come and just destroy everything. So here he is, uh, threshing the wheat on, on the floor there, and, and, and an angel of the Lord appears to him, just like every day, you know, happens to me every day. And uh, so Judges 6, uh, and let's go from verse 11, we're back to New King James, and this is the scripture, this is how it happens. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about? Saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, Oh my Lord, can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. And so here he is, and he says, How is this possibly going to happen? I am the weakest. I 
am the least. And what starts to happen in Gideon's life is that there starts to become a shaking on the inside. There starts to become an adjustment is what I'm talking about today. There starts to become a shift on the inside, a shift in his heart, a shift in his mind that actually for going from something where he considered himself the least and considered himself not to be able to have any impact or any impression whatsoever. But God wants to use Gideon because of his heart. Why does he want to use Gideon? Because Gideon, later on, we see how God moves through a man who said, I'm the least. And so here he is, and he says, I'm the weakest, and, and I'm the least. And, and as he goes through, there's a process that he starts to learn. And what he learnt on that threshing floor was crucial for what was going to come next. And I want to say to you that God has got you in a process. That sometimes things don't just happen, but sometimes we don't recognize the process. David killed the lion, David killed the bear, then he killed Goliath. And you've got to recognize the time in your life where a process has happened, that God is leading you towards something greater. There are times in your life where you have obeyed God and you've seen a result. There are times in your life where you've come to God and you've said, how am I going to do this? But then you've heard the words of heaven and it could have been the smallest of things. But God is going to cause you to be able to kill the lion, kill the bear and kill Goliath. God is causing you to become stronger in the inside because many of you don't know who you are. Many of you consider yourself the least, consider yourself as the weakest, consider yourself the lowest. But I want to say to you that God is going to move upon your life. I'm going to say to you today that if you're in a wilderness, who knows what that feels like? Who's ever been in a wilderness, in a barren place? You can't hear God or you feel oppressed, or you feel lonely. Nothing is going on. Heavens are bright. I want to say to you something right now. Don't despise the wilderness. Because it is in the wilderness you hear what's important. You hear what you need to hear, because in the wilderness your heart gets adjusted. And you start to really cry out for God, just as Israel started to cry out for God and to believe for him. So, do not despise the wilderness, but say, God, I'm going to hear your voice. Speak to me. I want to hear your voice. And so, here he is, and God speaks to Gideon, and he says, you know what, Gideon? I want you to destroy uh, the altar that is being put up for Baal. I want you to destroy the carved image that's next to it. Your father put it up, but I want you to destroy it. And uh, so Gideon gathers a couple of his men, and uh, he does what God tells him to do, not knowing maybe what the consequences might be. But you know what? He's frightened to do it. He's frightened to do what God told him to do, So he got up in the night and took down the altar of Baal and the carven image next to it. And God says, I want you to build up an altar to me. I want you to make a sacrifice. I want you to use the wood that was 
the, idol, the, the, the image next to Baal. And so he does it, but he does it in the night because he's scared. Do you know what? When God tells you to do something, do it scared. I can't think any time in my life when God has told me to do something, I'm like, whoa, yeah, right, okay, let's do it. Oh, I'm so confident. I am so ready. I am like, whoa. There is always, always a part of me who is scared. There is always a part of me that's like, I do not know how this is going to pan out. I do not know what the outcome is going to be. Because Gideon goes and tears down an altar that his father has put up and he's in his father's house. He doesn't know what's going to happen after that. But he did it scared. And God speaks to you on a daily basis. Go and speak to that person. Why don't you just pray for that person? Why don't you just give of this? Why don't you just do of that? God called us out to, to Scotland uh, 18 or whatever years ago and, and he says I want you to go up to Aberdeen we didn't even know where Aberdeen was we just said yes before we knew what the consequences might be but we did it scared and don't wait to feel confident don't wait to feel like you are on top of the world don't wait for that time you just say right God has said so I'm gonna know, I know it's going to be okay I'm going to obey God because I don't know how it's going to pan out, but it is going to pan out for my good because God said do it. So I would encourage you as a church, let's be strong and say when God says do it, let's do it and do it scared. Do it trembling in your boots. Do it because the outcome is going to be more than what you ever thought or imagined. And so I want to encourage you to do that. Do it and do it scared. All right? So there he is, and then his father, they'll wake up in the morning and went, who did that? Who pulled down that altar to Baal? Who did that? Who did that? And then they, it turns out, they find out it's Gideon. And then they're like, well, we've got to kill him. We've got to, we've got to get rid of this guy. We've got to, and, but, you know, and then there they are, and his father suddenly stands up who had put up the altar, he stands up for Gideon and says, no, wait, 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 just wait a minute. If that is a God, that Baal, it will plead for itself. It will speak for itself. And something happened right at that moment because Baal did not plead for himself. The God that was not a God did not cry out. The God that it was not a God didn't want justice because it couldn't have justice because it wasn't the God of all gods. And so something starts to shift. And you see what's happening here is something's forming in Gideon, something where he said, I was the least, I was the weakest. Something is starting to happen because it's like, whoa, there's a turn, there's a shift. Something has happened. I obey God and now I don't quite know what's happening, but I know something's happening. And so here he is and he's standing there and the spirit of the Lord comes upon him and he starts blowing the trumpet. And, and an army starts to gather. He sends word and an army starts to gather behind Gideon because actually it's one man, but all of Israel is watching him. And so here they are. And, 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 and 32,000 people gather in a time of oppression where they've been oppressed, when the time of a, a wilderness time, they gather together to fight the Midianites. And so there's this movement, there's this shift within a man. And so here he is, 
And then we're going to pick it, the story back up again with this army of 32,000 people. And uh, Gideon goes uh, and camps with these 32,000 soldiers, this army. And here they are in Judges 7, picking it up from verse 2. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved them. Now therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, and the same shall go with you. And of whom I say to you, This one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water and the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by, by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. And the number of those who laps put in their hand to their mouth was 300 men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, by the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the people go, every man to his own place. He was left with 300 men. Now, the Bible says that the Midianite, Midianites were, you couldn't count them, innumerable. They, you could not count them, they were so many. In fact, it also says you couldn't even count their camels, there were so many. And here is Gideon, from 32,000 men down to 300 men. Imagine what that man is going through. Imagine looking out over the Midianite camp and just seeing a vast amount of people and looking at your 300 men and thinking, how is that going to work? Now imagine a football stadium. You've got 70 to 80,000, reckon. How do I know? Yeah, okay. Thank you for that. Imagine if you've got two opposing teams, right? I'm not going to say any teams because I'm not going to get in trouble and I don't want to riot in church. But imagine if you've got two opposing teams and the, the football stadium is filled. 70 to 80,000 people and then you have 30 of the other team. Dotted around, one, ten here, ten here, and ten here. And they're all going to, the, the 30 are going to chant for their team, and they're just going to shout out for their team, and by some amazing thing, the, the opposition turns around and goes, oh yeah, we join with you, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not going to happen, is it? Imagine the proportion. Imagine standing there with 30 up to, to, to 80,000 people and they are against you. They are the opposing team and then look at Adam thinking, we're going to have victory over you. Let's put it into perspective that there he is standing there and Gideon has got to trust God. God has spoken and God says, I do not want this victory to be by man's hand. I want to show my glory. I want to show my power. 
I want to show that I am the God that can rescue a nation, that can build up a nation. And God speaks over your life and says, do you know what? Stop striving. I want to do my power and my glory over your life. You can work it out your way or you can do it my way. Because we can do life okay, can't we? You know, 32,000 people probably could have, I don't know, could they have won without the power of God? I don't know, probably not. But if he had fought, he would have lost men. If he would have fought, the, the, the fallout would have been not the same as what we're just about to read. And our lives, we can take a hold of our lives and we say, I want, I want to do this my way. But God says, no, come on, I want to do it my way. I want to give you a principle that less is more. And I'm going to show you how that happens in your own life in a minute. In Judges 7, 19, 20, this is what happens. His arm is 300 people. He splits them up into three. And he says, take your swords, take your trumpets, take your pitchers, take your torches. And they put their pitchers around the torches and set up around the Midianite camp. So you've got 100 here, 100 here, and 100 here. And then this is what it says in verse 19. So Gideon... And the hundred men who were with him came to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. And just as they had posted the watch, they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew their trumpets and broke the pitchers. They held the torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their rights for blowing. And they cried, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And every man stood in his place all around the camp and the whole army ran and cried out and fled. When 300 blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp, and the army fled a very long way. And so here we are, the most incredible power of God happening. The most incredible story where 300 men defeat the vast amount of the Midianites. It's the least that becomes the more. Because Gideon had surrendered to God. Gideon had surrendered everything to God. What he learned on that threshing floor was mind-blowing proportions on the battlefield. And uh, I want you to know today that whatever you've learned, God can add to. Sometimes you go through life and you think, I don't know what I've... I don't know what I've gained sometimes. You know, a lot of the times we're thinking we're not good enough or we haven't attained anything or there's this thing out here that I, I will do but it's so out there that how do I possibly connect between this and that? But God is working that process through your life that don't forget the very small things that he has done in your life to bring the greater. He says if you're faithful in the small I will give you more. And so I want to say to you, be encouraged in your heart because wherever you're at right now, God is positioning you. All right? And so what happened was the least became the greatest. And the least did the most. And so we really have got to trust God with our lives. Because I don't think we do. I really think we don't know what it is as a colonel to fall down into the ground and die 
so that life, full life, can come. I don't think we've grasped the full concept of what that actually means. I don't believe that we've yet to understand what it is to allow that least to become more in our lives. You see, Gideon gave up his security. He gave up his home, his family. He gave God his vulnerability. He gave God his excuses. He gave God his weakness. He gave God his insecurity, his fear. He gave God his future. Gave God his obedience. He gave God his trust. He gave God everything. And I want to ask a question this morning to you. What is the least? If less is more, what is the what is the less? And I really believe that the less is everything. It's everything. Because you look at the stories where God has multiplied, God has done a miracle, God has come in, it's where they gave everything. It's the very heart and principle of God to give everything. He gave everything. He did not withhold one thing. He gave everything. And it's not that your everything is not of value to God. It's not that your least is, is, is not considered valuable by God. It's because he's given so much. That our least is least compared to what he has given. Because the Bible said he did not withhold one thing. And so your least is your everything. When we die to this life, to live a life, we die to everything. We need to submit everything under the hand of God. Submit everything. But the thing is, is we want to take control of our lives. We want to work it out. And I think we can do an okay job. But I think, just as Gideon allowed those 300 men, he did what God asked him to do. That in that, he, something just incredible happened. And I really believe if we can give God everything... If we can trust him with our lives, really trust him with our lives, we will see such a mighty victory in our lives. We will see such a mighty breakthrough. You know, I remember a time where I was in a meeting like this, and, you know, we, our lives were okay. You know, we, everybody has struggles and trials, and not that when you give God everything you're not going to have your dark days, your struggles and your trials but I remember being in a meeting this time and I was standing at the back and somebody said to me it's time to give God everything and something happened some shift like Gideon some, something was happening on the inside and my heart started bumping out of my chest I wasn't even married at the time Kev was somewhere, I don't know he was around and, um, but I remember this, just this moment. Now, I'd already given my life to God and, you know, great relationship with Jesus. But there was this point in my life that I had to give him everything. And I remember responding at that, that service and I gave him, I gave him my marriage, but I wasn't married yet. I gave him my kids 
but I didn't have kids yet. I gave him my future. I gave him my finances. I gave him my health. I gave him everything I could possibly give him. I submitted everything under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And I remember that defining moment in my life. And I can honestly say to you that God has done far and above what I ever thought or imagined. In my marriage, in my children, in my future, in my fine, everything that I am, I gave to him. You know, when I married Kev, at that altar, I said to him, everything that I am, everything I own, everything, I give it over to you. I didn't keep one thing back because that's how relationships fall apart when we give something else back, when we hold back. That's when we we don't trust, we don't give our trust, we don't give our vulnerability, we don't give, it's it's all got a oh but if on on the tagged on it. But there has to be this submitting and I gave my my life to Kev. I gave my future together. We didn't know how it was going to work out. But here we stood, and then, and, then, and then here we stand before an almighty God with our very least that is our everything. And I want to say to you today, I encourage you to hand everything over. It could be your past. It could be your addictions. It could be your trials. It could be your family. It could be your future. It could be your career. It could be just every, it's everything. But when you say everything, we go, oh, everything. And then everything is written there. But we don't realize what everything is. But in giving our least, God can bring the more. In bringing what we have whether it be two loaves, uh, five loaves and two fishes, whether it be two mites, whatever it be, God wants to work upon your life. The hand of God is upon your life. The call of God is upon your life. He is calling you to come out for more. He is saying to you, you could do it your way, but if you do it my way, it's a better way. If you would become vulnerable before me, if you would surrender your life, if you would surrender all your preconceived ideas, I had to do that so many times. You've had hopes, you've had dreams, you've had visions. You think, why did that not work out? Why did not that happen that way? I don't know. You've got to submit it under the Lordship of Jesus Christ because his way is higher. His thoughts are higher. His God is for us and not against us. God wants to work and multiply within your life. God wants to enlarge. God wants to increase. God wants to go far more beyond. His power wants to be released upon your family's life, your children's life. His, his, His power wants to be released upon the finances. His power wants to be released upon your soul so your soul will prosper. And there's such a beautiful thing that happens that when we surrender, what is the more just as we close? The more is the God factor. The more is the power of God. How many people just want to see the power of God in their lives? How many of us strive to see the power of God in our lives? But you know what? I keep laying it down. 
I keep laying it down day after day, daily dying to myself and saying, God, resurrect something in me. Revive me on the inside. Some of you are feeling dead as anything. Dead as anything. But we used to have an Indian preacher and he'd go, like anything. Like that. He was so funny. So funny. He actually used to snort down the microphone. It was amazing. And then go, like anything. Anyway, that's for nothing. We submit this church. We submit all of that which we've thought out. Everything. It's such a joy to give God everything. And today, if you give him your everything, which he can move upon it, You might be confused, you might be disappointed, disheartened, or you just might be stuck. But God wants to move on your life. He is ready and waiting. He's already prepared it. We've got to trust him with our lives. We've got to have faith and believe that that which he asks us to do and that which he asks us to give is just going to release a deluge of his grace his glory in our lives. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 7, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Because when it's of God, it's so much more amazing. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or you'd like to find out contact information or service times, then don't forget to visit our website, www.com junctionchurch.com. God bless.